When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at The Super Producers, which covers The Neptunes, Timbaland and Missy Elliott, and Kanye West. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. let it roll i'm your host nate wilcox and we're back again with alexi old and eugene s robinson to continue our discussions of netflix hip-hop evolution documentary series this week we're covering season four episode three the super producers which goes back in time to talk about teddy riley then covers the neptunes timberland and missy elliott jay dilla and kanye west general thoughts on the episode fellas you can do Jack Swing on my nuts. Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not, not how I feel. That line just kept going on. No, I'm just saying I'm, I'm glad that they gave uh, props to Teddy Riley because he did It Takes Two, uh, you know, which was a huge, just huge classic and had been such a uh, uh, influence on hip-hop music and the, the merger of hip-hop and R&B. And that's one thing, just a quick bookmark is you know the nexus between hip-hop and r&b and how they would have the the stereotypical r&b song with a hip-hop verse in there or a a rapper you know that kind of bridge between the two genres and and hip-hop getting in on different kinds of things like that's one of the things that's kind of was that's been missing so far but uh it was good that they had teddy riley in there because uh a lot of times i don't think he in retrospect these days he gets respect he should be afforded Fair enough. Well, and let's no, go ahead, Eugene. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got points, and points count for quite a lot these days. So, um, <laughs> not nah, this. This out of all the ones that we've watched recently, this left me 
unexpectedly giddy. Mm-hmm. I was really happy at the at the conclusion of it um, because it was it, it, uh, you had a lot of moments in it that constituted what I've always liked to call my rock and roll fantasy moments. You know those moments like where like the the first chair violinist drops dead and somebody goes, "Oh, we got to cancel unless anybody can play the you know Brahms you know Thirteenth Symphony," and then you kind of go, "Oh shit." I can, you know, you get on stage, you're like, you did like from, I mean, there were so many moments like that mm-hmm. in this where, you know, like when Q-Tip heard Jay Dilla's tape, I mean, there were just a- enough to, you know, a, a high school drum, you know, <laughs> timpani guy in the form of Pharrell Williams, all of a sudden, boom. I mean, you know what it's like when you hit out of high school? These cats have like, you know, I, I had a professional fighter who's been fighting since he was like 17, and he got fired by the UFC, and I interviewed him. I said, hey, this is probably the first job you got fired from. He was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how could you be close to 40 and only be fired once, man? So it made me really, it made me really happy. It made me really happy. Yes, it, it was delightful. And, and we start with Teddy Riley, and this is kind of going back in time. And, and I think this connects to our continuing gripes about the lack of coverage of not only the second wave of hip hop, like the contemporaries, the Houdinis and all that, but also the early nineties pop rap stuff. Like it's not just Teddy Riley that got ignored. Young MC, Tone Low. Oh, that's right. Yep. 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 You know, uh, Naughty by Nature, House of Pain. I mean, Cypress Hill, so so much. And of course they can't cover everything. Yep. Nate Dogg, the late great Nate Dogg. And, but Teddy, I mean, Teddy's a big, big deal. New Jack Swing was a big, big thing. And before him, hip-hop and R&B were at total loggerheads. I mean, R&B people did not want to have anything to do with hip-hop. And Teddy broke down those walls, you know, and and is, and is a hip-hop guy. is yeah. a native hip-hop producer. He starts out producing Spoonie G, you know, Love Bug Starsky, <laughs> Busy B, you know? Yeah. Like and, and enough, then, enough enough so that he's that he's I think he was what it was at one point Lionel Richie came and were like hey man I I want to get in on this hip hop thing and they, they they had to kind of pull him aside and say hey you know Lionel if we could sing we would sing <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so they they had to like kind of just kind of redirect him to like do what you're good at stay in your lane nobody needs a Lionel Lionel Richie hip hop you know. And that's the thing also, the thing about Teddy Riley as well is, you know, the thing that the show did once again is instead of having stuff up for debate or make it seem like, okay, it's just one person's opinion, it's like gospel truth. So when they went to the Neptune, the Neptune is like, oh, they were the first ones that like really crossed over as producers that people really want to work with outside of rap. That's not true. Teddy Riley had Michael, he did Michael Jackson's Dangerous album. I mean, like, you know. So it's just, it's just, it's just, uh, yeah. Oh, oh my, exactly. So it's, it's again, I, you know, it's strange because when you look back on this episode, when I was looking back on this episode, I was like, okay, who are the bigger producers? Cause like no disrespect to Jay Dilla, but like when you're trying to have like, okay, super producers. Okay. Then you start thinking about, okay, well it's been out of order, right? They've been popping around so much that when you finally are trying to have a list of like, okay, we're going to focus in on the super producers. It's like, well, well, they had what about uh, DJ Premier? Oh, they kind of kind of already had him. They had Pete Rock already. They kind of had people already. They didn't have the Bomb Squad, but they kind of had people already. Uh, Marley Moore, like out of place. 
so that it's just you're kind of like again i'm not saying they're scrambling by the folks they got near the end but it's just so disjointed and out of order that it's disorienting when you're trying to actually have an episode devoted to who are the top super producers for in hip-hop history it's just seemed too disjointed out of place because of that for me well in their defense i would say that this isn't really i think that's more of a convenience title that they're they're continuing their sort of historical regional survey. And the reason they put Teddy Riley in is the same reason they put in Babyface and L.A. Reed in mm. the Outcast episode. It's because he's essential to the Neptune, Neptunes and Timbaland and Missy Elliott. Like yeah. without Teddy Riley coming down to Virginia Beach, those guys don't get the opportunity. So we don't have this episode. You know, and Jay Dilla's kind of snuck in there because he's got so much critical acclaim lately, and they got to sneak him in somewhere. I mean, I don't know that they had to sneak Jay Dilla in, but I was kind of glad that they did. And then Kanye, they definitely have to sneak in. Not sneak in, but they definitely have to cover Kanye. Yeah. And this, to me, the producers thing gives it a good rubric. Although, you know, DJ Screw could easily have been under this heading as well, you know, or... or, um, What's the dude from the Three Six Mafia? I mean, you know, they could have had him in there as well. That would have been more of a stretch. But, you know, so to me, this is more like a continuation of the Southern Regional Tour. This is the Virginia Beach stop. And then they tack on Jay Dillon and Kanye under this theme of super producers. But, you know, the main thing with Teddy Riley is that he's one of the founders of New Jack Swing. I mean, you got to mention Jerry Jam and Terry Lewis, Jimmy yep. Jam and Terry Lewis as well. Yep. You know, they work with Janet Jackson and, and all that. But but they didn't uh, blind Q-Tip because he dissed, uh, because, uh, sorry, he didn't diss because Fife Dog dissed New Jack Swing. Like, I remember that, you know? So he was is, bl- is. allegedly blinded because Fife says, strictly hardcore tracks, not a New Jack Swing. And they said, oh, really? So, you know, we'll show you some hardcore tracks upside your head. And it was against <laughs> Q-Tip, unfortunately, right? That's why I had to wear the glasses. Allegedly. 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 And and Teddy himself had to duck some violence because the whole reason he moves to Virginia Beach is his yeah. brother was tragically murdered in Harlem. Because I never imagined Teddy Riley recording all this stuff in his house, like cutting cool Modi records in his house. Like the guy was big time and he was still taping in his house, you know, in the toilet. <laughs> and no, the yeah, raps. They, 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 there was no need to pay those studio fees. At the, no, no need at all. You know, I mean, he, which means technologically speaking that he was on the cusp of like where many of us are eventually came to, you know, not using tape, you know, not using tape at all. Probably what was digital design calling it then before it was pro sound tools. I think they called it before it was pro tools. Um, you know, these guys were, you, you know, when I was an editor in chief of EQ, you would see a heavy retinue of, of, of hip hop guys at NAM and AES and shows that like, you kind of have to do a double take. Typically, I was like the only African-American media member there. There were some guys from Bass Player Magazine who would end up showing up. But then I started recognizing people like, you know, oh, my God. Oh, that's – oh, and I would always routinely see uh, Lewis and Jam at these. You know, mm. I, I mean, nobody's going to those things unless you're interested in, um, you know, technology. They wouldn't be in the guitar section. <laughs> you know, those were all the old – crusty rock and rollers but they would they were they were there for sure uh, in uh you know on moss so and so we 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 covered teddy riley and then 
cover his move to Virginia Beach, and they talk about how he, and this is the first of your Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland moments, when he says, I'm going to put on a talent show. The only guy here is Jimmy Buffett. Like yeah. he can tell that, that there's talent in Virginia Beach. And what the, what the and, hell is Jimmy Buffett doing in Virginia Beach? I thought he was a Florida guy. I, was I know. I thought he was from Key Largo or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But and then also the yeah. to, to, to name drop him, right? Like I just, you know, I, I just, that is an interview. Like that's a nexus that I was just dying to see Jimmy Buffett. Like, oh yeah, when Teddy came along, we, uh, <laughs> like, was he jamming? Or was there a jam? Well, it's, also, with, uh, it's, also the, it's also the weird kind of thing that, you know, is is Virginia the South? You know, when they were talking about, look, we're on, we're we're between D.C. and we're between North Carolina, and I was like, yeah, I know it's the home of the Confederacy and all, but I, you know, when I had friends who were getting in trouble in New York, and their family would say, okay, that's it, you're going down south for the summer and get your shit straight. They weren't talking about Virginia. Yeah, so but it's, it's, but in D.C. though, the 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 fascinating thing I've always found is the fact that because my mother's family's, you know, has Virginia roots, mm. there are a lot of African Americans that do not step foot in DC that do not step foot in Virginia. You know, so um, there's there's it's understood that there's certain kinds of behaviors uh, that are not uh, looked kindly upon, including black presence in certain areas, you know, like uh, not too far south from Washington, D.C. So for some really? folks, yeah, there, it's, oh, it's yeah. blown my mind. There's some folks who there's never, when I lived in D.C., like some of my mother's coworkers, never, anything in Virginia, not stepping foot in Virginia at all, like hardcore. So, you know. I mean, I, I played all over Virginia. I never had it, never felt no, and, and I know a number of people too. I mean, I would regularly go to powwows my, with my family in yeah. Virginia and all the time. My mother to this day is like, oh, we need to relocate to Virginia. But it, but there's that stigma that, you know, some folks have. And I don't know if it's based on specific experience or just well, from what you yeah. said, Eugene, like, oh, the Confederacy and, you know, the yeah. Jefferson. You know, well, well I, 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 maybe if we knew a Southerner, we could ask them if they can think that Virginia is part of the South. If only we knew a Southerner. Right? <laughs> You're going to oh. call me a Southerner now. <laughs> Virginia is definitely part of the South. And Virginia Beach uh, is the, the southernmost part of Virginia. It's very urban. It's also very wet. A lot of tunnels and bridges and stuff like that. Yeah. You can get some vicious traffic jams. But Virginia Beach has a big African-American population. And it's it's not like Bristol, Virginia, where you know I know people who've been called all kinds of slurs driving through and stopping at, at you know, the Quiznos and, and Bristol, Virginia, like that Southeast Virginia is where you get into the real redneck country. This is, or Southwest Virginia, this is Southeast Virginia, way down close to Carolina. And, you know, it's pretty urban town as, as our next subjects. First, the Neptunes, they talk about Pharrell Williams and, and uh, Chad, you go. Um, Known as the Neptunes, they did Rump Shaker, which I had totally forgotten. I probably never knew that they. I didn't know that at all. Shaker. I had no clue. Yeah. It blew my mind. It was, and and that was you know when they were working for Teddy Riley, who discovered them in a talent show. That's yeah. where I was going. That he he had the whole talent show. He said, "We're not going to do the thing where if you sing like Luther, Luther Vandross and hit, yeah. hit the Apollo high note, you win." No, I want actual talented people, not just you know, Simon, the future Simon Cowell type con competitor. And so that's where they found the young Neptunes. They were total geeks. These are yeah. band geeks, yeah. met and yeah. gifted and talented class. So it's either it's always that or 
and other tellings of it, it was a band camp. So these guys are dorks, you know. And also, Chad, you go one of the first Asian Americans to make a big impact, yeah. at least make it big enough to make it into hip hop evolution. Well, other than your boy from the two live crew with the broken arms. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, I, I also like I, I like recently that Pharrell was like, you know, I'm not a tough guy. If a, tough stuff happens around me, I'm telling whatever I know. <laughs> I thought that I thought that I thought that was great because it reminds me of a slick Rick line about called the. From that song behind bars where like a fight breaks out and the guard comes to him and this is you know what happened and he goes that guy right there <laughs> <laughs> another oh slick rick another person yes. another casualty yes, of hip-hop yeah. evolution which is why we've, bring we've been moaned that many times but it's <laughs> yeah. also funny that noriega's super thug is really one of the first hip-hop productions that puts these guys on the map and that is total thug city and their stuff with the clips Again, yeah. grinding is all about dealing drugs, you know. So they were working with people who were more street than them, and you know, totally rode that. It's Kanye, and we'll talk about that later. Who who breaks with gangsta? Before that, hey, you know, nobody I, is really. I, I, I tell you a funny thing about clips. I went to a, a show. I went to like a a, um, it, uh, a fight. It was a um, where the fight club meets a nightclub, and I went with this friend of mine who was a classical pianist, right. And afterwards, she said, did you hear the song they were playing? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, she got was obsessed with this song. And she, like, got back from Vegas and she, like, 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 looked, like, like it found it and it was a song by Clips. <laughs> you know, and I was, at there that point, go. I said, I have to give Clips a serious listen since it was, like, whatever was blasted through the, the classical archives of her brain. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how I discovered clips. And, you know, and, uh, and super that... thug, I was in New York at the time, you know, uh, uh, came up for law school and, you know, and uh, ev they were right. Like every fucking club you walked into was always fucking rock. I hated the song. Always rocking super thug. <laughs> always rocking super thug. And I people loved thug. it. They loved it. I just felt like, D -d 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 it just, I just, just, it just bugged the hell out of me. But like everybody I knew loved it. It was in every fucking club. And, and I have to say the mistake they made with like, oh, the reason why they're super producers is because, you know, of the 20 songs that are played on the radio, 12 of them were Neptunes. I was in New York when 19 of the songs out of 20 played in the radio were Diddy songs. So this whole, that's the thing that threw me off also is the fact they like, oh, just, we've never seen anything like this in terms of just taking over radio. It's like, come on. I yeah, you, I was I looking at, sorry, some quantitative analysis of that. And Timbaland had more, was more dominant than the Neptunes ever were in terms of that. And none of them touched like what Max Martin did in the teens, like where he literally did have 20% of the top 10 for most of the decade. But they, I mean, they were still huge. I mean, there was a point. No, it's not, it's not saying know, they're not, but it goes to like the, the problem is, again, they're trying to prove a point, right? But it's just faulty and it's, it's a perspective and just does not hold up to anything. And it just really undermines. It's hard to suspend your disbelief when you just have just blatant falsehoods like that to pump a certain segment. <laughs> It's like, come on, man. Nat nattering nabob of negativity over here. I was there. It was crazy. And the thing with Timbaland is true. Like with Aaliyah's tracks, like if you if you put all the things that Timbaland had produced and 
dominance on the radio and and what did he produce dominance on the radio neptunes i'm telling you like at the time there's no compare no disrespect well the neptunes really but come on later like between 2005 and 2009 whereas timberland is is bigger the late 90s early 2000s but they were both huge and they and to me i honestly have a really hard time picking out neptune songs from timberland songs i can i can tell you if it's one of those two pretty pretty accurately but i have a very hard time picking out is this neptunes or is this timberland no, no, seriously. I, I, every time I, I, I think, I, 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 I could pick Timbaland most uh, most often. I can't pick. But I mean, he'll have the there. Eastern motifs. That's the mm. that's one of the giveaways, you know. But I find they 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 do that same thump and beat a lot, and the and the way they do rhythm. I mean, Timbaland has the little noise marine. Anyway, I just have found them. <laughs> the, the, it all sounds I, the same to you, huh? I can't of, tell of the, I can't tell the Virginia Beach sound apart. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just a. You know, you know, all the Virginia Beach guys sound the same to me. But I also think I should point out <laughs> that even though Pharrell was kind of a mentor to Timberland, Timberland had the first hits. I mean, Timberland was was busting out hits other than um, the one we just talked other than what was it, Rump Shaker. You know, the Neptunes went a while without another hit. And then Timberland and Missy Elliott were having hits oh, on Leah and other yeah. people first. You know, and they didn't even get into. And this is a, a side joint, but I didn't even realize this. Did you know Aaliyah's albums are out of print, other than the one that R. Kelly did on her? Yeah, yeah. That her uncle owns the company, and supposedly he got so depressed when she died. And also, it's alleged Jim D. Regattas thinks he might be the guy who ratted out R. Kelly, who gave Jim D. Regattas the the P tape because he just couldn't handle. You know, he made R. Kelly. Trip, trip, he discovered trip. R. Kelly, produced it. <laughs> Anyway, but all of her albums are out of print. They're not, they're not, you can't even buy them on CD. Like when I saw they weren't streaming, I was like, oh, this is a $15 problem. I'll buy them on CD. And I have to go to YouTube before they get taken down and, and, and rip them. Anyway, but damn. And anyway, was, anyway, I, I, I want to give a doll yeah. for the cap because we were talking about, uh, Alexi was talking about going to the club and hearing this song. You know, you can't say that I, a song that I will never get tired of, earworm to death for me that I love, that nobody will convince me it's not. The best song ever in the entire world is Apache. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yep. it. Yep. I could listen to timeless. I could listen to that about twenty five times in a row and not get tired. Timeless. That is absolutely timeless. Apropos of nothing. You should write this up in episode two. What? what you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a great kidney. Jump on it. Jump on it. It's a heck of a tune. Heck of a tune. Um. So they, they tell the Neptune story, you know, basically Chad and Pharrell, talent show, hook up with Teddy Riley, and then, you know, have their hits with R&B, have their hits as, as hip-hop producers, and then just utterly blow up in the, in the knots. Then they segue into Timbaland and Missy Elliott, sort of friends and protégés, like they talk about SBI, surrounded by idiots that Pharrell was actually in <laughs> with, with Timbaland and Magoo, who's his, his partner on stuff. And also... Black Gown Records, uh, the Indecent Proposal album that Timbaland did, also very hard to find. Mm. It's not on streaming services and stuff either. And there's a million lawsuits. Like Google Black Black Ground Records. Dude even like sued his ex girlfriend into the ground. He bought the hair salon she worked in Damn. to fire her. Yeah. Who, who is know. this? Aaliyah's uncle. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. 
uh, the guy that owned Black Round Records. And and so, you know, you get in the record business, you start looking at this stuff, you're always going to find one of these stories where somebody's crazy uncle owns the record company and, and <laughs> runs it into the ground. And it, you know, affected And they also didn't talk about Missy Elliott. You know, she had this great run of albums. Like, she's put out an album yeah. a year, basically. And then 2005, it just stops cold. I think she's put out, like, one single since then. Uh, also she had Graves' did, disease. Did, did, also, also then, oh, she, I didn't know she had Graves' disease. Yeah, it's this a thyroid a, condition. Yeah, I know. It was Marty Feldman had it, and uh, mm-hmm. I've got another, I've got another friend who has it. But I, I, I'm surprised they didn't mention her girlfriend either. So I was surprised about that. No, that's tell us more. Tell us more. Um, no, I, 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 that's just what I heard. Reason that she was very comfortable with it, and was like, fuck, I got a girlfriend, and it just seems like we've been part of the story. So I'm, the, I'm, 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 I'm looking for occasions to normalize, you know, this stuff. So it's not strange. So yeah, and her, uh, and, and the thing is, in terms of crossing over, she was the only rapper on the Lilith Fair tour, right? Yeah. So huh? the, so you know, I remember that back yep, in the day, yep. you know. So yep, yep, and uh, um. So anything else we hadn't covered with with Timbaland and Missy Elliott? The Aaliyah I mean, thing, just the Aaliyah. You you I mentioned Aaliyah already, but just that kind of dynamic. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, I mean, it's strange. I was, I was, they didn't take an opportunity to talk about yeah. it at all. And I also I, I really want them to go much more in depth into that really that massive talent, Justin Timberlake. I mean, that's you know, he's just <laughs> hip hop. A lot force. of people respect him, you know, and like they I, say, actually, I'm, I'm poking fun at the guy, but and he I, respects I black women too. You know, the way he does, hey, like he's willing to put and, his career on the line for them, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> and destroyed Britney, a bastard. But and, and I also mentioned Britney Spears. You know, you don't get to produce Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears unless you're among the best, which is true because there's so much money riding on it. They're not going to like dredge up Phil Spector or something. You know, like they need somebody who's going to show up on time, deliver something commercial and quality. And you know, hey, you, you there, mentioned there's there, there's, there's, a, there's a famous there's a famous producer that we all know, and I won't mention his name. I mean, he's produced some of the music of our life, rock music of our lives. And some guy was telling me about being in the studio with him and about how he would show up later because he called a second engineer to turn on the computer so it would warm up by the time he got there. Oh, <laughs> there you Lord. go. Nice. Man, oh, man. <laughs> well, maybe it was a Windows system and you had to restart it, you know, and allow <laughs> yeah, 30 okay. minutes. When you said Phil Spector, the thing I thought about, you know, the the thing that quickly went through my mind is, oh, you know, oh, maybe Phil, someone so was a front for Phil Spector. Has there been a producer who, because of one issue or another, either because of age or perceived impropriety, like was uh, the Wizard of Oz uh, behind the curtain for a, a younger or producer? Go- you know, who go- was, a ghost producer. Yeah, a ghost producer. So, Like the front during yeah. the Cold War or whatever? When they Is would, there any kind of like the, the ghost producer? Like, So yeah, has there been like a, a, a big time person who, again, because of impropriety, because of age, perceived being out of touch of things, ghost produced something that actually was, you know, successful well, and... No, usually it's usually it's never other, heard of anything like that. usually it's somebody who's lost a step, and then they have a real talented second engineer who's really the one who's producing the record. Right, like like I heard for Wu Tang, that's what they said. The RZA, they said actually the you know he was the front person, and there was um camera the guy's name who actually was the one that they said actually did all the 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 top stuff. But mm. I just didn't know whether or not mm. they had even in the heyday. Yep, in the heyday. Yep, I can't remember the guy's name. They said that he was like oh no the RZA was the front. Six episodes ago, where was what this? Is, where was this? When we were talking about Wu Tang. 
uh, when the Boo Bangers were listening to it out of respect. <laughs> I thought you would bring it up. I thought something like, you know, you, you were so into it. I was just waiting for it. I was like, oh, Nate's going to bring this up. Nate has to bring this up. And since nobody yeah, but, brought but, it up, okay, I was like, it okay. must have been some kind of like, I don't know. I, I had heard that well, from listen, a number listen, of sources. Listen, listen, you know, I mean, to be an executive, to be a hot shit producer, you don't have, you can't. You don't have to be able to engineer a session. You know, I know some guys who recorded with Rick Rubin and he would sleep. And then the second engineer would bring him the stuff at home and play it for him. And he would say, more bass, you know, cut out that part, move that over there. And he'll go back to sleep. You know, mm. <laughs> you know, if you sat down, him down in front of a Neve console or in front of a board, this guy probably couldn't. An engineer is very different from producer, you know, so. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. Stones producer Andrew Lee Goldham couldn't couldn't handle the board at all. So you yep, know, thought they yep. plugged the guitars directly into the wall like a toaster. So yeah. that was just on the first session, but he 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 picked it up. So we'll continue this episode. We'll, we'll come back talk about Jay Dilla and Kanye West when we continue. Yeah. What you found, Manuel Noriega in the Philippines? He has a mansion. Okay, we're on the water right now. Bye. And now a word from our sponsors. Continue our discussion of Hip Hop Evolution, Season 4, Episode 3, The Super Producers. I want to make a couple more points and a correction about the Neptunes and Timberland Missy Ellett before we go on to discuss Jay Dilla and Kanye West. Correction, Teddy Riley did not produce Spell Bib DeVoe's classic Poison album. It was produced by multiple producers, including Elliot, Dr. Freeze, Straits, The Bomb Squad, Bell Bib DeVoe, and more. Prefiguring who said, Nas's... Who, who said that? I said it. I oh, said it. I didn't, really really myself. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't like the dispersion of responsibility because I didn't say Well, it. <clears throat> I was looking for important New Jack swing artists and Belbiv DeVoe came he to did, mind. He did produce, as I said before, uh, It Takes Two. So yes. He was like 16 years old when he yeah, did that. Yeah, but yeah. If, you need me, yeah. if you need someone to recite some Teddy Riley songs, I, I know from the New Jack swing... Uh, a video and song, you know, all the artists that he produced. I just wanted to correct that one thing I'd done, but I okay. also thought it was interesting that Belle Bib DeVoe had the multiple producer approach before Nas's Illmatic. Oh. And that gets to a point that we're going to come back on, which the interconnectedness of R&B and hip hop is, it's almost one genre at this point, by the time we get to Timberland and the Neptunes. And so another thing I want to talk about the Neptunes and Timberland really quick is that this is the era, the early 2000s, their heyday, when hip-hop conquered the world. The Jiggy era is when hip-hop became the number one genre, when it overthrew country and western. Yep. But in the 2000s, hip-hop producers 
start doing pop productions and not changing a thing about what they're doing, which they say in the show, but they act as if it's hip hop still being underground or whatever. It's hip hop has become pop by this point with, you know, is this the end of hip hop as a unique genre? Is this why trap? I need to tell you, I'm going to start the show. Yeah. I need to tell you from the other side that those guys, I was editor in chief at EQ back then that those guys were not happy at all about that writing that was on that wall. They did not, they didn't care about the R&B artists who wrote country tunes that were big hits. They didn't care about R&B artists who interpreted country tunes as mm-hmm. big hits. They didn't want to know black from nothing. And that's the God's honest truth. So there was a You're lot talking of about country artists. I'm talking yeah. about the entire music industry, music instrument uh, industry, guys at ah. NAMM, AAS, Sweetwater, all those cats, they were not ready for this changing of the guard and still wanting to call it urban and not really willing to accept at all that it was that the new, that it was pop, right? Right. So from, from yeah. the other side, you got to know they were aggressive, aggressive uh, oppositionists. Well, it's funny you talk about the country dynamic because the thing that tripped me out back in the day was boys mm-hmm. to men, two mm-hmm. of their big crossover hits end of the road was a country i mean straight yep, up that's right sounds that's right. like a country song you know yep. just just the melodies lyrically delivery everything and that's the shock i was like mm-hmm. wait a second this sounds like a country song and then they hit up with another song that was a number one hit that sounded just like a country song too yeah yeah and so anyway the point i was trying to get to though was that at the point when oh, Neptune's oh, there, there, was, land, there was there was a point okay. there was a point there was a point are they're not just it's not just Aaliyah that they're producing it's britney spears and justin timberlake mm-hmm. hip-hop and pop are the same thing that was that was the only point i wanted to make that, that i felt like mm-hmm. we had left him so now we come to jay dylan now dan now now then we come to jay dylan <laughs> which they start with a discussion of techno which is a, a relative of house music, one of the founding genres of electronic dance music, came from Detroit in the early 80s. Ryan Harkness and I have just been talking about this uh, in our Techno Roll series. So it's kind of on my mind a lot. Uh, you know. And, and they, they've got a quote from House Shoes, who's a Detroit DJ, that, that fucking techno is in the water. Hip-hop in Detroit evolved with techno kind of in a linear way, just like in New York with hip-hop and punk, kind of at the same time, same venues, same parties, just a mixture of incredible music. There were no barriers. And th- from there, they go into Jay Dilla. And, you know, we talked about Detroit once before in the series, which was Eminem. Mm-hmm. And actually, the Eminem stuff happens after the Jay Dilla stuff. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. I think it's interesting that they don't connect those two things at all. And they don't talk about Kid Rock, and I've bitched about this before, and I don't know that they should have, but but they should Kid have. Rock and they Insane Clown Posse are also coming out of Detroit. Both the of them. They should have talked about both of them. I, it, 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 it is – whether uh, artistically one has any kind of belief and value of Insane Clown Posse or, or Kid Rock, like they made a national impact, and they should have at least been a footnote if nothing else, I mean, just to be totally ignored, like they didn't exist and there was no kind of visibility on them was, I, I thought it was kind of, kind, of like yes. did, kind of like they did the Slick Rick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey. We, we, we talked about the Slick Rick thing and I, you know, and I, I get what they're doing. They're trying to give us exemplars of important trends or whatever. I just thought it was weird that 
for Jay Dilla, they choose to go into the history of Detroit music, which is more than just techno. I mean, it's the home of Motown, John Lee Hooker, you know, so many, Aretha Franklin, uh, so much great stuff, and P-Funk. And this is where it does connect in. Mm. And this is something I didn't know until I watched this, but Amp Fiddler, who was a, a late period keyboard player for George Clinton and P-Funk, when they were doing fine work, I mean, doing big tours and, and big George Clinton revival in the 90s, he was a musician with P-Funk when Jay Dell and his buddies come together, come knocking at his door. And he just lets them start recording in his house, which they were pretty blown away by. And I thought that was quite interesting. And I thought it was very that was, telling. That was, that, was, that was a fucking cool. That was really cool. Yeah. And, and, and I thought it was telling that dude had his ear to the ground that he could pick out which hip hop kids. You know, he's like, yeah, y'all can come mess with my stuff if you got skills. If you don't got mm. skills, don't be wasting my time. And he quickly figured out, he was like, yeah, the sound quality on their stuff is shit, but I'm hearing something. I'm hearing some ears. I'm hearing some talent. And he lets him come in. And then he introduces him to Q-Tip. He's on the Lollapalooza shit. tour with Tribe Called Quest. And boom, introduced to Q-Tip, who then introduces Jay Dilla to Questlove and Common and De La Soul and well, you got to get you got to get into how he actually did it. Like he just like listened to a tape, and it was like one of those rock and roll fantasy moments where he's like, "Oh my god, you you got to hear the tape. You got to hear the tape. You got to hear the tape." And that's you know his advocacy was was pretty instrumental at that point, though. Yeah, and he's playing it immediately to True Goy, the Dove from De La Soul, yeah. and others. And and this is the other thing about Jay Dilla is they're including him here when. In our timeline, he's really kind of a second generation member of Native Tongues, really. Yep. I mean, his most popular stuff, other than working with the Far Side of the Roots, but so much of his most popular stuff was with Tribe Called Quest, was with De La Soul in that late 90s period. Um, anyway, I mean, I don't know that they should have stuck him in with – I think it makes sense where he is. No, but, but, the, but, the, but think about this. Remember when they – the way they did Native Tongues, it was Q-tip, Q-tip, Q-tip. He's just such a visionary. He's such a so-and-so. So I don't know he gave thematically – He sat down with us. Right, yeah. <laughs> talked to us. I don't know thematically – again, I'm not saying they had this all planned out because it seems like a lot of stuff they didn't. But thematically, it would be weird if like, oh, Q-tip's such a genius and no one's thinking about them. And he's such a – and then Jay Dilla came on and he's a genius too. You know, So it's it, it's kind of uh, – I, I think it messed up the narrative. Because one thing they that one thing is so fascinating about though when you think about Q-tip to Jay Dilla, the whole neo-soul thing that I've wondered about is what about Ali Shaheed Muhammad? Because I thought – at the early stages of Neo Soul and also the early stages of Tribe Called Quest, my favorite period of both movements, mm. it was him, right? And it's just like, you know, he, obviously he was in the Native Tongue segment, but I just think it's so fascinating that you have, you know, Q-tip, 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 and then Jay Dilla. Then, well, what about Ali Shaheed Muhammad? Like, what happened? Like, are they trying to front, like, he was the that someone was behind him doing all this stuff, or like it's it just it, that's just one thing that's kind of been left out that I've been curious. About. How could you have a guy that was so instrumental early on in native tongues and a neo soul, and just you know he loses credit? Uh, he has to he might not to have given him access. Or, yeah. I mean, it might no, but he did. They interviewed him. No, he was in there. Oh, I, remember true, when he, I remember when he was there. I was watching. My wife was like, <laughs> "Fuck, that guy aged really well. Like he looked like yeah, yeah. he looked like he actually got younger. You know, but maybe that's what it is. Jealous. 
Q-Tip has clearly given him multiple sit downs because they talked to him in multiple locations, and with Alita, yeah. it was just one place. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just one. He looked too good. They were jealous. They were like, "Oh, this ugly." What? What's the secret? <laughs> He's like, "Oh, I'll and, tell you, good living." But you're hitting, creating you're hitting neo soul else. and creating yeah. neo tongues. Did they even say the word neo soul in this segment? They mentioned Erica mm-hmm. Badu. Nope. But they don't yeah. actually say nope. the term neo soul, yeah. which kind of because they weren't out. here. They weren't here. I'm telling you, there's well, like a tremendous also, disconnect. They're just like I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that in the 21st century. I know you're anti-Canadian. <laughs> I'm not anti-Canadian, but that. no, I'm not anti-Canadian. But you have to be realistic uh, about individuals that are actually alive and around when things are happening versus someone reading about it in a book or surfing online and finding articles totally you can different still find experience out a lot. yes you can but it's not it's yeah. not the same at not, not the same at all not the same at all i think same. i'm hearing but, a, i think i'm hearing a hater i think i think well, yeah, <laughs> hey, we, we're trying to not better i'm always this, a hater yes. <laughs> what are you talking about lexi hater old you don't but get I'm it because I have to host the there, show. So. I got to hold the hate back hate. to be the actual yeah. host. I, I, I'm I bristle with hate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're hosting because I'm hosting the show. You're that's hate. right. Um, My but time I think it makes, sense. it makes sense to keep Neo Soul out of it because it's the hip-hop evolution. It's not black pop evolution or whatever. But Neo Soul is a big deal. And D'Angelo and, and the Roots and, you know, and they don't talk about Questlove producing D'Angelo and using Jay Dilla's tricks that he learned to produce D'Angelo. And D'Angelo, like, I know you're saying Neo Soul was the best Produced the, the second but... D'Angelo album, not the first one. Yeah, yes, yes. First one is Ali Shahid Muhammad. Exactly. But the second one is the one that there's a 33 and a third book about and, and it's become a thing. Well, <laughs> that's terrible, your, man. I hated that's it. That's like just your opinion, man. I know. But, uh, but it, it carries it, so much was... weight. Yeah, it was never. Yeah, of, of course it does. It, it, around here, definitely. But, and I was never into it either personally. But there you go, man. I mean, See, yeah. don't do but, not allow critical voices to taint your taint. Don't well, allow them I, to poison and like engage in revisionist yeah, history. You listened to it back decades, in the day; it I'm sucked. It wasn't, as, it wasn't as good as the first and one, and then now you're like, well, maybe the like second, that. maybe maybe the second one wasn't so bad. It's like, no, it sucked. <laughs> remember, remember how it, how did it feel when you listened to it? It was not as good as the first. But then I'm the same guy who loved grunge, and I've totally learned my lesson there. So you know. I, I, I disavowed almost all my personal tastes from that era. So I'm open to what other people listen to. But I think without that neo soul context, you don't get quite why Jay Dilla is quite a big deal. Eugene, you seem like you've got a pregnant pause forming on your lips. No, no, no. I was just going to tell an unkind story about grunge and I decided to. Oh, I decided, yeah. I didn't, it's, I didn't it's, it's off topic. It's off topic. It, it, and it, the hate. Know how come on. I am. The hate. Yeah, come on. Okay, I don't don't come on. Nope, nope. Haters nope. club, baby. Yeah, yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially just a guy who was going to hate on it. Turns out that he had some nice things to say about it. Oh, me. that's different. Uh, well, you know, that that obviously that all obviously makes a difference. I do think, like at first, we were talking about this in the green room, Alexi, and we didn't think that they got what, what it, was the big deal about Jay Dilla across. Yep. But I think it's hard to get across for one thing, because he's in the era where he's not like Rick Rubin, where he's making an album at a time, where he can mm. say, oh, you want to hear Rick Rubin? Here's this LL Cool J. Here's this Run DMC. Here's this Slayer record. Here's this Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I just had to sneak that in for Eugene. <laughs> but with, with, with Jay Dilla, 
Which I don't, you know, it's tracks on this album. It's a few tracks on that album. It's a few more tracks on this album. And Remixes. it's not really until, yeah. And, and when, you know, you sit down and you, you find the YouTube playlist or the Spotify playlist that's got everything he produced one after the other, after the other, then you can sort of start getting a feel for what he's doing. And even then, I think the fact that they say he's your favorite producer's favorite producer is a tell. Cause I think if you're making beats that he's a very big deal because he, he didn't quantize. He let the imperfections in his rhythm stay there, which is, you know, any drummer will have that, whether it's Clive Stubblefield or John Bonham. I mean, Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa, any drummer ever that's a human being will have these variations in their tempo that a drum machine or a tape would take right out. And, you know, Marley Marl liked that. That's what Marley Marl liked about the Bee Gees. And that's what he liked about Giorgio yep. Moroder was that these, I like that robotic, perfect mm. beat. But after 20 years of that, at this, yep. you know, when Jay Dillow was doing this, after 16 years of that, bringing back that humanity and figuring out how to bring that humanity back into the machine was pretty revolutionary. And, 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 the, and, the, and the fact that people could hear it, whether they knew they were hearing it specifically or not, he could hear it and yeah. were resonating with it emotionally, I think that says it all. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big thing. And somebody like Questlove, who's a drummer, who's trying to do human drums in a hip hop context, um, you know, this was this totally changed changed his whole game. So, I definitely feel like I have a better appreciation of Jay Dilla now, especially after doing more homework around it than I did before the episode. So the episode failed with Jay Dilla then. <laughs> You hate her. No, I, it, I think with the, all they you can do You shouldn't have to supplement. Time. You shouldn't have to. You should watch the episode oh, and that gives no, it to it's, you. It's endless supplement. I mean, there's whole books about this dude coming out. I'm never going to know his music the way that they like have Quest little notes on the does. screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the other thing, it'll and they be, don't it'll make be it. Like a, a, it'll be like a crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> You're like watching it like, shit, I had to watch that thing five times. I get something new each time. No, 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 no. Another thing they don't mention is that the I think the real reason that they have Jay Dilla here, and you notice that Jay Dilla and Kanye are the only people, if, unless I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, the, the first two performers in this season that are not from the South. Everybody else has been from Houston, from Memphis, New Orleans, Virginia, and now we come back up to Detroit. And they don't make it explicit, but they imply it by following Jay Dilla with Kanye. But I mean, Kanye produced Slum Village tracks. Kanye has talked endlessly about what a big influence Jay Dilla was on him. And Jay Dilla's game changed when Kanye came out with all his soul samples. Jay Dilla starts, you know, his later work, he's dumping tons of soul samples as if to say, you know, oh yeah, you think you're the neo soul guy? I'm going to show you, you know, and some people even called it a measuring contest, like whipping it out and showing Kanye, you know, who's the real boss. And, and that to me is like the thing with Jay Dilla, like Neo Soul, The Beat Revolution, and Kanye. That's a pretty big resume. And I'm, I'm are we going to get some Kanye hate here? Is that what that? No, anybody? No, no? not no? yet. Not, no, no. Actually, strangely, uh, not a little bit, but not not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to hate. But any final points about Jay Dilla? I've got one. Uh, no, one I, I, except, except I, I'd like to say I, I wish I appreciated him more when he was alive. Well, I think that's many people, and this is also reminiscent of DJ Screw and so many others that we've talked mm, about that, that you know died yeah. at a young age, and and mm. it's that's a human 
but you know what? I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still having people that like some guy just wrote me this long impassioned letter online about how he just discovered Oxbow, and it sort of blows my mind. I've been doing Oxbow since like 1989. What do you mean you just discovered? How the how fucking old are you? Yeah, how did goes, he discover it? And he goes, I'm 42. I go, you're 42, and you've been listening to this music for a while. He just came in some weird way. Like, he mm. read something somewhere, he was reading some heavy metal, and then bing, bing, took two steps, and there he was. I don't know. It was weird. I mean, there's so much music coming out these days. We've got the That's whole it. globe now to draw music from, and there's no mass yeah. media. I mean, mass media essentially died in the 90s. So it's not like there's Time Magazine or whatever. In the 60s, you had three TV networks, one newspaper in every town, and two magazines. Yep. So yep. if you made it, you made it. And if you didn't make and it, a, nobody and heard and it. And, a, and a, as somebody was talking about, what, what, like, where do you go to get, to get informed about music? Mm-hmm. And people were like, draw, I mean, Pitchfork had something going, and then they got bought by some major, was it Fox or some major? People were like, fuck Pitchfork. Yep. So now it's like yeah. maybe consequence of sound or who where do you go to find out i don't even think it's i don't even think it's websites i think anthony fontano the guy who sold some oxbow records for you he's 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 one you know um but there's very few people doing that that have an audience these days it's just it's it's a different era and i also think people are experiencing time Mm. non-collectively like if if you if you if you know teenagers you'll see that like some teenager will start wearing ramon shirts in like yeah. you know 2016 or whatever and suddenly they're into punk or womb they they're getting into classic hip-hop or you know so it's all or they turn goth i mean it's it's people are just sort of chewing through all this so cultural you, 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 think, you think it's being you think it's being driven by the algorithm i, I definitely that's a factor but you know yeah. but it's all designed it's all rabbit holes everything's their design but anyway yeah. let's stay on track kanye then comes up and you know, they wedged Kanye into the super producers thing, which I think makes sense because um, that's what he was at first. Uh, and, you know, they tell his story. He's a kid from Chicago, picks up and moves to New York to make it. And I think it's also telling that Chicago couldn't swing, couldn't support a Kanye in that era. They like couldn't Chicago's- just swing on his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Because Eugene kept on saying that last week. Yeah. That's great. I love that. That's, who's that? Ice Cube? It was Ice yeah. Cube, yeah. But, yeah. but there was a day. It ain't pop because that sucks that. and you can do Jack Swing a minute. Um, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Regardless, there was a day and age when Chicago could carry artists. Like Muddy Waters made his way to Chicago. You know, Curtis Mayfield's entire whole career was in Chicago. The house scene came out of Chicago. And unlike Techno Detroit, which was always a minority taste, house had radio shows and was in the clubs and actually was more popular than hip hop with black kids well into the early 90s. It wasn't until the cops and the mafia sort of caught the house clubs in a double, you know, in a vice that anyway, by, by the late 90s, Kanye can't make it in Chicago, has to go to New York. Tells the story of how he plays his beats, you know, for Jay Z. Jay Z immediately starts rhyming, you know, the is a hove rhyme, and you know, Kanye tells mom, "We about to make it. We about to make it." He knows he's he's broken through, and he absolutely did. But the thing that they left out, I thought was interesting, is they don't mention at all how much how successful Kanye was, because Jay Z was already pretty close to the top of the game. I mean maybe the top of the hip hop game, but the hits Kanye made for him were bigger than anything he had had before. Like he kind of significantly ratcheted up how mm-hmm. successful dude was. Um, 
And then from there, it's into the story of Kanye's a great producer. Everybody loves his beats, but nobody wants to let him rap. And Kanye's determined to be a rapper, and he's so obnoxious and pushy that he finally breaks through, or he's yeah. trying to break through. Nobody will buy it until he has the car accident. Then he produces through the wire, and the rest is history. That's, I mean, anything else I'm missing from their version of the Kanye story? No. Nah. Go ahead. Uh, well, you know, the, the one thing, I when, again, back when I was editor-in-chief at EQ magazine, and uh, I Love Huckabees had come out, and some PR woman was trying really hard to I get me. I heart in. Huckabees. What did I say? You love, I love. Huckabees. Ah, whatever, man. I heart yeah, Huckabees. Yeah. You, know, you know what I was talking about. <laughs> I, was talking about I that, love New York. The, yeah, the, one that got, the one that got that guy, the director, shit-canned because for being yeah. a lunatic. Um, yeah. But in any case, John, John, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it wasn't Wes Anderson. Well, it was no, Dave, no, no, uh, it's not Wes Anderson. It's the guy who produced Three Kings, direct yes. and, and Frank and the Monkey, David, and David something or other, something or other. But he, there's a long tirade of him calling Lily Tomlin the c-word, making her cry. And, yeah, 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 and that, yeah. Just I'll look it up while you guys talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do it, do it. So, but um, yeah, I, I, I heart Huckabee. So Brian. Had been David Russell. With David Russell, thank you. He had been working with Sorry, uh, Kanye, uh, Kanye, and and I all I my exposure to Kanye at that point had been that for me personally terrible interview he had done in Spin Magazine, and it was pretty like one. I, I think the piece was it was mostly about Jay Z, but like introducing his new you know protege, and he. Um, he, he Jay-Z catches him in a public moment says, why does your, he's, he's spent like $250,000 on some diamond encrusted gigaw mm. of Jesus Christ. And then, uh, you know, JG just as a throwaway comment says, why are his eyes blue? <laughs> and this completely derails, uh, um, derails Kanye from the interview. Like he's like, he's, it, it's burning at him and he's like, it bothers him. And then the, the writer uses it as a, a device to close the piece because Kanye brings it back up again. So it just, it, it paints him as this kind of like, you know, just, I just, you know, it's like, like Dave Chappelle's whole thing with like putting African-American men in dresses, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, of course this guy would be like this man child and they, this would discombobulate. So I just kind of wrote him off. But Brian is the one who uh who clued me in and he said the guy's work ethic is unlike any i was like yeah yeah everybody goes no 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 listen to what i'm telling you he's there when i leave at night and he's there when i get there in the morning and he's wearing the same clothes mm. he's not going home man he's working 72 hour stretches to produce something you know, say what you want about the guy, but that guy, and this is when I was dealing with a lot of pushback from the, the old, you know, the white community about putting, you know, Will I Am on the cover and, mm. oh, he's, he's turned the magazine to too urban. None, none of those guys are putting in 72 hours. I don't care who we're talking. And I loved a lot of those old producers, became friends. That's how I met Joe Ciccarelli, who's actually an active and current producer. But um, I took Kanye seriously. I was like, man, I put in a couple of I put in a couple of thirty six hours non drug aided, but seventy two hours. Hats off to you, bro. Whatever, whatever happened after that, I don't give a shit. Until you come to me with seventy two hours where you sat in a chair and done something consistently 
for 72 hours. I don't want to hear from you. I don't. So that's when I start to pay a lot of attention. To well, since you brought that up. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and for me, it was, uh, I, I, I don't think I noticed. I noticed the songs, but I didn't bother. I wasn't a big enough head at the time to bother looking up who was producing this stuff. And I didn't notice mm -hmm. anything. I didn't notice a distinctive production style. But when Through the Wires came on the radio, that was a period when I was listening to, we had a passably decent hip-hop channel in Austin at the time on the radio, and I had my cassette or CD player in the car broken, and there I was. And this thing, I did not have a track tape at this point. But, <laughs> and Through the Wires, immediately, the raw emotion was something I'd never heard in hip hop before that kind of vulnerability. And, you know, you go back and listen to college dropout and he's telling his own story. It's a middle-class story. There's no gangbang bullshit in it at all. And that's the whole secret of Kanye is he's being Kanye and he's being very open and vulnerable. And he's not the first hip hop artist to do that. We've talked about multiple ones, although I can't remember. You guys remember anybody? The Wu-Tang Clan. They were some of the first to be, to show. No, they were a lot. Uh, Slick Rick being 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 one. I mean, these well, sure. you know story talks about getting punched in the face and robbed out in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, Brooklyn. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, but but kind of did bring something new to the game. Um, and also, and I and I get back to this at the end of the episode that they wrap it up that this you know between Kanye and Pharrell and Timberland and Missy Elliott, these producer rappers brings auteurs back into the game and you get albums like this that a college dropout that are really the first to me since Nazilmatic that are unified creations that don't have a you know a, and Wu-Tang too but you know this era of six tracks produced by five different producers or four different producers it's not really album rock or whatever to me it's not you don't sit down with those the way you did you know like with Raising Hell from NDMC or whatever, Licensed Ill, where, or Takes a Nation of Millions, where here's yes. this album, you know, and, and it's an album. And, and going back and listening to Kanye's whole discography this weekend, right for the show, was I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like, you know, was, was quite impressed with it. And that made me kind of wonder. I feel like Missy Elliott got accomplished that with her stuff with Timberland. Yeah. But going back and listening to Timberland's solo stuff, I didn't feel like he ever pulled it off and Pharrell and the Neptunes. I mean, they had that nerd concept, you know, where they had played as a rock band. Um, and, and for as much as Pharrell is a star and, and had so many hits and they were brilliant producers and everything, I feel like Kanye kind of has the crown as far as making great albums in the 21st century. Yeah, maybe. Nobody could fight. No, I mean, I in know. this genre. Yeah. I just I, I I I find that all of that is becomes eclipsed by the person that personality at this point, you know. Well, I mean, I, know, I, I, yeah. I feel I feel I feel a prevailing sense of sorrow for him, you know. And he and he he could he could end up he, he could end up getting out of it. Like I remember I was in Germany when somebody said, "Oh my God!" Well, like I was in some cafe and this was some people and they said, "What?" You go, Mike Tyson got a tattoo of Chairman Mao over his. I, which was incorrect, right? But yeah. at that point, at that point, he, I mean, he got a, did get a tattoo on his face. But at that point, somebody said that 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 poor guy, he's gone. And you know, and Tyson has kind of mellowed into like a really kind of interesting cultural touchstone for a lot of people at this point. Um, so you know, Kanye could pull it out. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping he does. But either way, 
he had a long run before yeah. he, yep. he melted down yeah. and his and he was always prone to that kind of stuff although in his early days when he was calling out george w bush for not caring about black people about katrina he was right on and i even yeah. like when he stormed the stage with taylor swift i mean yeah. you know it was embarrassing I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> yeah but, but i mean <laughs> you know it's just when it when he becomes a billionaire and he gets sucked into the reality tv and the kardashians it, it it becomes pretty ugly, but you know, it's like Michael Jackson. He gets really heinously oh, ugly man. in the later periods, but that's what money and wealth and fame does to people. You know, that's why I gotta give us some of it. And that's why you yeah. give it well, that's why you gotta give you know, let's give some of it this let way. Just those who can help you take the burden <laughs> off, take the trickle burden down, off, baby. Ease the burdens, trickle it down. And then if we down. end up that my... way, we can help you understand. We can yeah. relate. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We can we can so, <laughs> yeah, so they leave all of that out. They don't talk any of his proclivity to get into these PR messes at all, which I think makes sense because they're basically just introducing these people, talking yeah. about their breakthrough, and not getting into the rise and, and fall ignoring except Slick for Rick. Tupac and Biggie. Yeah. Again, yeah. we went through why they did that. I, I think you know maybe we could do a GoFundMe and get them to do an episode on. I, I, I'm also thinking that about EPM, EPMD. Those are the exact you know, you, ones that they mentioned. They but, were the ones but, they regretted not being able to include on the show. You know? But you know, but you know what EPMD did that was really, up in here, up in here. But what they did that was really special is they, because they can't because of where they came from in New York, which is like, like on the island. Yep. So their music was always more oriented toward driving. So they actually managed to do a West Coast thing, but from the with the East Coast sensibility, with that heavy, because they were listening to music in cars, not on. They weren't taking the LIRR, right? And, <laughs> they weren't oh. taking Long, Long, yep. Long Island Railroad in. So, but anyway, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. And where was Cool Keith? Why haven't we heard about? Oh cool Keith? gosh. I mean, Dr. Dr. Well, Dr. Keith, please, you know, yeah. Lost in space. So, indeed. Indeed. But anyway, yeah. because he, he, he keeps true. absconding with the money. <laughs> but, but he, did, but he did make he did make a friend of mine sort of famous in a really huh? cool way. Yeah, like uh, uh, Danny Bo, uh, Dan Boleri, who was some kid used to be a skate kid, punk rock kid, came into my store all the time, and then he got into hip hop. And somebody said, "Hey, you want to meet the uh, cool Keith?" And he was like, "Yeah." And so he went over, and they start working on stuff, and then he got a shout out on what the record, and then he became like just this kid who was hanging out in my store when he was like fourteen, started you know this neo hip hop stuff. It was really crazy, great story. All right, all right, uh, and I guess that's it for this episode of Let It Roll. We'll be back next time to conclude our journey through hip hop evolution with the discussion of season four, episode four, Street Dreams, which covers mixtapes, Fifty Cent, Ti, and Trap, and Lil Wayne. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of hip-hop evolution with a look at Street Dreams, which covers the mixtape phenomenon and artists like 50 Cent, T.I., and Lil Wayne who thrived in the medium. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Ed Ward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.